The Boldly Now Show, burning desire, big ideas, bold action. Welcome to The Boldly Now Show. This is Michael Sean Conaway, and I have the great pleasure of speaking with Amanda Ravenhill today. Amanda is the executive director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute and the co-founder and founding executive director of Project Drawdown. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, Amanda, you've been working uh, you know, in, in very specific issues around systems design, systems thinking, uh, climate change obviously being a big, big focus with, with Project Drawdown. Um, what has happened for you over the past three to four months as we've gone from you know, the old normal life into pandemic uh, and then into to, you know, grappling with uh, systemic racism and, and the, the, the rise of the social movement around Black Lives Matter. What's, what's happened for you? What's changing for you? How's your world perspective changed? And what, is the thing, what are the things you're up to right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the main things that has come to me is just the, the intersection between uh, climate justice, environmentalism, and social justice, that it's the frontline communities that are often the historically oppressed and marginalized people of color that are going to be hit first and worst by environmental uh, degradation and climate change and extreme weather. And, you know, I grew up kind of in international development. My parents are anthropologists and aid workers and went into that realm kind of through the poverty alleviation and women's empowerment realm. And then I was living in Bolivia and these thousand year weather events kept on happening and um you know weather events that are only supposed to happen every thousand years and i realized just kind of like the intersection of those two um yeah so when i was working in uh, bolivia where i went to high school Mm. i moved back after um, doing an undergrad degree in, in international development i was doing fair trade handicraft um, exporting and it was really beautiful 25 percent of bolivians consider themselves artisans and um you know we're working in this developmental way where it's really increasing the potential of of the people um, in the communities and it's building up their economic foundation and these thousand year weather events kept on happening where um, these floods and droughts were happening that are only supposed to happen every thousand years and literally the foundation of some of the homes of some of the women that i was working with got swept away and i realized that there's this climate change multiplier that you know in the complex algorithm of change, you know, of all the things that we need to do in order to make the world work for 100% of life, there's like this outside multiplier effect. If we don't deal with climate change, all that gets washed away, quite literally. Um, And actually through my work since, I dedicated myself to climate change solutions and looking at soil health, you know, agroforestry, all these solutions that we identified um, with Project Drawdown, family planning, girls' education. Actually, if you deal with climate change well, all those other things can become easier. So the multiplier effect goes both ways. Yeah. And so so here we are in a time where, you know, which we didn't want, we wanted to avoid this time. I think uh, the, you know, five, 10 years ago, we're like, how could we avoid going off the edge of the cliff? And here we are kind of dangling off the edge of the cliff. Uh, and, and many, many lives or many, many more lives are now being uh, directly impacted by, um, by these forces along with the, the multiplier effect of, of climate change, as you say. You know, what's the thing right now that you're most confronted by? What, what are you in this moment 
uh, you know, grappling with maybe in a way you haven't done before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that the movement for Black Lives has put a magnifying glass over is the radical wealth inequality mm. in the U.S. and the world, and specifically in San Francisco, where I spend most of my time. Um, it is just disgusting, really. Mm. Um, the gap between people and the cycles of oppression and institutionalized racism and state-sponsored violence and so much that keeps people of color um, yeah, without access and resources to that which the rich who just keep on getting richer have. And you know, if you look at, there's a great book called A Finer Future by Hunter Levins and John Fullerton. Mm -hmm. They look at past civilization collapses and almost all of them have two things in common. One, we didn't respect our natural resources and two, radical wealth inequality happened right before collapse. And yeah, we know that our ecosystems are in a really fragile state. We just hit 100 degrees in Siberia this week. Mm. And, and we should have paid attention when it got to 80 because the average should have been, you know, just 59 is the high. But for whatever reason, the three digits got our attention first through the news cycle. Um, right. And here we are. And I think, you know, the those who are hit first and worst being those who have also been, you know, right at the just squashed down by all the cycles of poverty and oppression and marginalization. Um, yeah, it just really gets me. And the potential of someone who does have all of this wealth to sign onto the giving pledge or something even more extreme, just to spend down their money. I mean, it's like, you're trying to save it for your grandchildren. Like your grandchildren want a world, not your wealth. Like there isn't going to be much left if they don't spend down. So it's, it's at once really challenging me and also an opportunity for us to, you know, be the regeneration, everyone who's alive today being this omni-generation of people who get to uh, put practices in place that, that bring us back to life. Um, okay, so a little thought experiment with me. You kind of already uh, foreshadowed this, but let's go 20 years in the future. Uh, radical uh, wealth disparity continues to increase and we continue to, uh, at, at at best be ineffective in dealing with climate change? You know, what does the world look like in 20 years after that? Hmm. I mean, in 20 years, we could probably hit something like six or seven degrees, um, you know, temperature rise above average levels, above pre-industrial levels. Um, that makes it look like, if you look in the map, this map behind me, just like the very tips of the bottom and the part of this map are, are inhabitable. So we would have to move, you know, billions and billions of people around the world, terraform those places um, so that they could grow agriculture, um, grow crops. And in the process, we would probably have a lot of conflict and already what we have of this like bunker mentality of the people who do, do have wealth saying, Oh, I'm going to just like stash my cash and like put it over here and take care of myself. It's like, <laughs> no one will be truly happy until no one is suffering. And for sure, like your bunker won't work if there's a full on global, you know, war uh, induced by all of the economic collapse that will uh, arise from all the ecosystem collapse. So yeah, uh, it yeah seems like it's that, straight out of a dystopian model or movie. Yeah, well, and it seems like the, the natural conclusion of the win-win the game, right? Like one person left alive with every bit of, of wealth and resources in a dead, dead planet, right? 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like like conqueror over nothing at that point. Uh, right. And uh, are they even human anymore? Because isn't it human to be in interaction with nature and with this living superorganism of which yeah. we're integral parts of? You know, they're they're like almost non-human anymore. Yeah, and we're and we've exchanged. Um, a living thriving planet for this abstract notion called wealth, but wealth doesn't really work if there's nobody to exchange it with. There's right. no, like money has no value unless we have somebody to exchange it with. And if we kind of, you know, in 20 years, we might not see the demise of, of the whole species, but it's, um, it might not be something you'd really want to live in. Um, no. So now let's think about, you know, like that, that there are a lot of good forces out there and you know, like there are people working on climate change. There's certainly a big conversation around change wealth disparity. What if we make incremental change? What if we get a little bit better? Um, you know, what, mm -hmm. what does that 20 year timeline look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit better looks like, you know, continued extreme weather and all of the subsequent insecurities that happen from there. Um, you know, <laughs> time is so of the essence. It's like incremental change will still kind of lead us to a potential collapse. There's so many ecosystems um, that are right on the edge, like the Amazon, you know, which is not only the lungs of our planet, but as I learned from uh, Atosa Sultani, who runs the Headwaters Initiative, which is um, part of what's being featured on, on Global Unity Week here. The Amazon is also the heart of the planet. It cycles so much water, you know, the river, the atmospheric river skies, uh, sky rivers above it cycle five times more water than the, the Amazon river below it. And so we're at a point of, you know, and especially with COVID now killing a lot of the indigenous elders, we're, we're so on the edge. I don't think incremental change is actually gonna be too much different than worst case scenario. So even if we just do good, it's it's not likely to to be enough. And uh, window and of opportunity is just like closing and closing and closing and closing. And like we're already at a point where we have to like, you know, like a spaceship in a sci-fi movie have to like go sideways in order to get through it. And we're like barely gonna gonna make it with right. with everything that we're putting in right now. So it seems then that that uh, you know the next the next question we're gonna kind of try to paint a picture is what if if we do everything right, like we really just nail everything and, and we move uh, humanity, not just the climate or you know, wealth disparity in the right direction, we move all of humanity in a, a direction that, that's towards a thriving, uh, thriving for humanity or 100% of life, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanna say, it just seems like already in the conversation, we said, look, we can't get there by, by doing things the way we're doing now. We actually have to give up mm -hmm. uh, the old way of, of doing things or the old systems or kind of our old notions of what life is like on the planet. Um, paint a picture first of like, what, what does it look like to get there in 20 years? What have we managed to accomplish to, to, to take ourselves towards thriving if we do everything right? And mm -hmm. then kind of come work your way back to me. Like, what are some of the, what's some of the like the now things that really need to happen in, in your view to mm -hmm. put us, point us in that direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the, drawdown and the the image behind me is this um a year of carbon dioxide um flowing through our living spaceship earth and you'll see like the you know the red is the emissions going off every um every winter and then there's this huge drawdown that happens just about now in july uh with all of the the carbon dioxide that comes in through all of the blooming photosynthesis in the northern hemisphere where most of our land mass is we have this great big inhale that happens every year. And so if we can 
just enhance and support nature's ability to regulate our our systems, including the carbon cycle, we can actually have a huge drawdown, an overall drawdown. So we've been going up and up and up in terms of how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere and other greenhouse gases. And in 20 years, we actually could see that peak and begin to draw down again. That's like best, 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 best case scenario. The, the latest drawdown numbers that we did um, in drawdown review, um, drawdown 2.0 says that by 2043, we could draw down and that means temperatures would go down about 10 years later. So 2053, we could peak at, at 1.526 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels. And so um, it's, it's even best case scenario, we're gonna have kind of what I call the awkward era of you know, this better, best, good news is getting better and bad news is getting worse. And you know, we're, we're seeing all these beautiful projects um, you know, planting agroforestry systems with agriculture and trees and, you know, creating medicinal um, plants and, you know, helping people just see all the traditional ecological knowledge of the indigenous communities and, and upholding that um, all while balancing the carbon cycle, increasing our livelihood, you know, helping us heal. Um, and yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And also in that awkward era, we're still going to have extreme weather events and we're still going to have like the economic and food insecurity and political insecurity that, that, you know, is the, are the knock on effects of those extreme weather events. And so we have to kind of like brace ourselves a bit that it can be temporary and not get, um, you know, not shift into apathy. Like there is definitely grieving to do. We are going to lose some ecosystems. We're likely to lose a lot of coral, almost all of it. We'll have to replant and regenerate it, but, you know, natural existing living coral is not going to probably be a thing of the future. Um, but like knowing that it's temporary and knowing we have the potential to regenerate it um, can fuel us. And actually like the, the grieving can, can get you to appreciate what we do have and the opportunity that we do have to still turn things around. But if you let the grief get into apathy, like we just don't have time for that. Um, so that's one thing I, I continuously just like watch out for if people are getting into apathetic modes or overly cynical modes. It's something we need to bring them back from. Yeah, and and let's let's go back to the original topic. You know this uh, this wealth disparity. You know, like what what needs to happen with that? I you know I I can just hear uh, the mega wealthy saying, "Why well, all I did was build a business that that you know produced this wealth. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't." Mm -hmm. I didn't seek to harm anybody in this process. I just happened mm -hmm. to be the right person at the right time. And I did the hard work to build this business. Mm -hmm. and like, what, what, what kind of shift do we need to see in that? I think you, mm -hmm. you made some mentions of it earlier, but let, let's, just, let's just kind of run through some of the things that we really need to see from that 1% you know, of 1% uh, on mm -hmm. the planet. Yeah, I think we all need to be comfortable with the idea of reparations um, and basically go through some sort of global truth and reconciliation process. That's not blaming any person in particular, but blaming the dynamics at hand. So there's kind of underlying, you know, meta narratives that have pushed our economy to certain work in certain ways, have pushed us to just look at quarterly profits above <laughs> almost everything else. Um, and it's like a story of separation, as Charles Eisenstein says, there are these kind of just, yeah, meta narratives that have led us to extract uh, and degenerate the entire planet. And so um, 
acknowledging that and seeing the one, the root causes of what's happening right now, and two, the downstream effects of you know, the second and third order effects of all of our actions, we'll be able to see the larger context. And yeah, like I started with, like get comfortable with the idea of reparations and, and shifting wealth, shifting a lot of wealth into the hands of the people who have been, yeah, just so effed over for way too long. Mm, systemic. And yeah, yeah, just systemically there's, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, just all the, the state-sponsored violence um, in this country is just atrocious. I cannot believe it's still happening. Um, I'm really happy that this movement, you know, it's a long time coming and I'm really happy with all that has changed in the last um, month. And so, so in order to those kinds of things to happen, it seems like there needs to be some kind of shift in governance and then obviously some application of a new economic theory, a new economic model. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, any thoughts about that? You know, like I know there's been a lot of movements to, uh, you know, give, uh, you know, ecosystems and watersheds rights. Mm -hmm. Is that enough or, or do we actually need to go a, a lot further in terms of our understanding of what uh, in economics we call resources, whether it be human or natural resources, and mm -hmm. our understanding of, of how maybe humanity ought to deploy and, and collectively manage those resources. Um, mm -hmm. you know, do we need to go back to the drawing board, to the very basis of you know, what it means to exchange value with human beings, or is there something savable about the current system? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it needs to be hospiced, and some of it can be composted. So, you know, the idea of um, Buckminster Fuller talked about wealth, the true meaning of wealth being the total know-how of all of humanity to take care of itself and ultimately to achieve a higher standard of living than any of us can imagine. Right. And if we can shift our understanding of that being wealth, you know, it's again back to the kind of the meta-narrative level of um, you know, the paradigm shift level of what needs to happen, then, you know, if we can get enough people to kind of grok that, it shifts how we are making decisions and what makes sense. Um, and the other piece is just identifying humans, ourselves. We, we tend to think of ourselves as kind of like a cancer, you know, just totally focused on growth, singular focus. Um, when really we have this ability to be apex healers rather than apex predators within our environment, you know, yeah. these keystone species that can create soil. I mean, much of the Amazon was planted by people, you know, and that soil was built by people adding charcoal and ceramics and fish bones. And, you know, some of that soil still grows three inches a year. You know, like we have this ability. And so I think, you know, part of it is what we're working on with Buckminster Fuller Institute now is this project called Regenerosity. And the idea is to get bold, generous gifts from philanthropy and put it directly into the hands of the people who are doing some of the planet's most critical work, protecting um, these bioregions and increasing the livelihood of their, of their communities. And in some cases doing, you know, blue carbon, you know, putting carbon back into ocean ecosystems in, you know, major ways and um, enabling just so much health. And so I think some of it can happen without changing the entire economic structure, but just by getting to, you know, have generous gifts and have foundations and others spend down their money while we still have a chance. Great. Yes. I like that. I, I'm going to just, you know, bookmark that spin down as an idea 
being able to re re uh, reinvest our resources into um, projects that, that restore the earth, I think is an amazing uh, concept. I really want our viewers to hold on to that. Even yeah. if you don't have a lot to give, you always have something to give, whether it's your time or your money uh, to these efforts, uh, whether it be on a global level, like working in the, the Amazon, you know, helping out with people like uh, Amazon Watch and Tulsa Satani, who has been on the show and is uh, part of the World uh, uh, Unity Week. Um, and also looking at, at um, you know, like how can I give up my time? You know, like my, my, my life is a resource and what it can be um, focused on and put towards is pretty much unlimited. Uh, mm -hmm. you, can, you can use your imagination and think of all kinds of ways you might be able to impact things globally and locally. We just mm -hmm. need to get freed up a little bit from that. And then, of course, I, we, you know, like right now, we're all cussed adrift from the, 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 the dominant economic system anyway. Many of us you know, don't have income. And, and so we're spending all of our time worrying about how we're going to survive inside the broken system. Mm -hmm. How about some time to, to, to be imaginative and just imagine, you know, like how you might be able to to contribute or make an impact. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of as, as far as, you know, like looking forward to the next, uh, you know, year or so, what are some of the things that, that you would like to see people do? You know, obviously activism is big right now, but what are, what are some of the things that you think, now that we've kind of had this wake up call and this shock, that we could start to do that would help to, um, to, to create the willpower to, to make the changes that we need to make so that we can have that best case future you described. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just first and foremost, you know, make sure that we're, <laughs> we don't take those best intentions and do something neo-colonial yet again. <laughs> so stop, listen, um, evaluate, dismantle your white supremacy, you know, or all the other supremacies that you might hold. Just look around and just think how often a day do you think you are superior because of one reason or another, because of your education or because you're an artist and someone else isn't, or, you know, just all the different ways that we need to dismantle. So that's first things first. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the environmental narrative of like reduce your footprint, you know, is definitely part of what needs to be done. But I also like to encourage people to look at their handprint. You know, what are they uniquely capable of doing? Not just lessening to zero and doing less bad, but what are they like, you know, designed to do? Um, each of us are here for, you know, a different unique reason. And Buckminster Fuller talked about, you know, like look out and try to find the thing that needs to be done that no one's doing and do it. And that which might seem you know, really obvious to you is probably not very obvious to everyone else. Um, but again, don't do it in a neo-colonial way. So watch out and be sure that you're working in partnership with people. If you're going to be working in a place that's not yours, you know, ensure that you're working with someone from that place and really expanding the potential that's already there yep. um, rather than coming in with your idea. So we're, we're big proponents of hyper-localism. Uh, so the land and the people of the specific place have the information needed to have that place work for all of them. Yeah. Um, and, and we all live in a hyper-local environment ourselves. We, we all live in a neighborhood or an area or maybe multiple areas on the planet, but we have hi our own hyper-local environments. And I think um, you know, if you have this burning desire, this desire to make an impact or, or uh, you know, get out there and, and, and head off something you know, terribly negative that's going to happen, the desire is really important to, to pay attention to and to uh, you know, really let that passion drive you forward. Mm -hmm. But the next, the next thing you have to do is you have to come up with ideas to, to channel that passion. And I think what you mentioned here is 
probably something that's become, uh, if not more important, certainly mostly more in focus, which is listening. How long can I stay in a state of listening without jumping to a conclusion? Uh, knowing how to do something or knowing better, uh, which is a, a hallmark of our supremacy, is, is actually reject the first 10 of those. Like, I know how to do that, or I, I can fix that. Reject the first 10, um, because that's not creativity, that's actually just recycling ideas that, that have been given to you by culture anyway. And if we continue to repeat uh, the old ideas, all we get is the old results. So mm -hmm. uh, listen, think, try with other people. Does this sound like something that could work? Does this sound something that could work? Or find somebody that's already doing something. You know, uh, Project Doground would be great to go volunteer and spend time with, or Buck Minister mm -hmm. Fuller Institute has great amounts of information and, and things you can learn. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but listening is, is really, really most important so that the ideas that we come up with, which we're gonna take action on, we're gonna build organizations or build an initiative or do something, that they actually contain the seeds of the future we wanna create mm -hmm. versus the seeds of the past that we do not want in our future to come. Right. Um, so anything else that, that you want to, uh, leave us with today, Amanda, I've had such a great time, uh, listening to you and learning from you today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just, you know, one thing that we can all do is change how we're eating. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many different ripple effects to it, including just how well nourished you are and how healthy you are and how well your immune system is doing, which is really relevant these days. Um, but yeah, you know, we make decisions many times a day about what we're eating and, you know, if you can grow and be in relationship with the land and soil around you, there's so many beautiful um, opportunities there and help other people in your community kind of get into growing, grow your own medicine, uh, whether that's in the form of tea or tinctures. Um, and then supporting at least organic, if not regenerative local farmers what are all the farms in your area that you can get to know the farmer's name and, and, you know, resource from them. And yeah, just like consider yourself allergic to pesticides. The world is basically allergic to pesticides. Uh, it's ridiculous that we're still completely surrounded by them. 80% of the biomass of insects are gone. You're in the midst of a crazy insect apocalypse and we're still eating food with insecticides on it. Um, so if you can, consider yourself allergic to all of that and just eat organic, try to eat as local as possible. And you'll feel just more of that will, that, that energy, that passion to make the world a better place, which is really, I think, one of the you know, most important resources we need to pay attention to. We have the technology, we know how to do this. You know, we have the business models, we know how to listen to traditional ecological knowledge and indigenous people, but it's really like the will and, and fighting that apathy and eating well and eating organic can help you do that or ideally regenerative. Great, thank you, Amanda. Thank you for, um, for that bit of advice, first of all. And also just thank you for dedicating your life uh, to first of all, through uh, Bucky's work, you know, a work, a life that, uh, a world that works for 100% of life. Uh, and then thank you for your dedication with Project Drawdown to actually give us a, a roadmap or an idea of how we might be able to reverse climate change. Uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's totally doable. We got this. Great. Uh, thank you, listeners, and uh, we'll see you again soon on the Boldly Now Show. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Be sure to download Boldly You in the App Store, Google Play, or online at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U.
Boldly You is an app and learning platform igniting your burning desire, big ideas, and bold action, generating a future for a thriving humanity.